The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Dylan, joined by Doc, as always. Today, we've got a very fun guest. We are talking to the man with the plan who knows everybody in the MLB draft that you need to know. It is Taylor Blake Ward. Taylor, thank you for joining us today, sir. Hey, absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me on, guys. Hope you don't mind me referring to you in the three names. I just think that the three-name combo is awesome, and you should only be known as Taylor Blake Ward. <laughs> a lot of people out here call me uh, TBW. Just throw the initials in there. I actually uh, I threw the Blake in there when uh, Taylor Ward was drafted by the Angels. So just to separate a little bit. I would never go back. I would never change. Three names are always better than two. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Now, you have been uh, – how long have you been one of the premier authorities on the draft? How long have you been this into it? Um, I would say 2013-14, kind of the winter of 13 going into 14 is when they approached me to do a little bit more coverage. Uh, My colleague Jeff Ellis has been doing it for a longer time than that. Um, But it's nice to have a two-team duo where we really respect each other's opinion. We we talk every day. Um, I'd say that's been since uh, 2014, uh, the draft of 14. Now, you're at 24-7, right? Yeah, yeah. And you do call it 24-7. You're not one of those those little football newbies that call it 2-4-7, right? No, I call it 24-7 sports. <laughs> good, good, good. We have uh, at the radio station that I work at, there's always an ongoing debate between like half the hosts, and I have to continually remind them it's 24-7, not 2-4-7. <laughs> 
I'll take it. You know, it's uh, we used to be with Scout Media, or we still are with Scout Media. Uh, obviously, there were some things that were done at, at the top levels that uh, I had no control over, but I'll take it. I, I enjoy working with 24-7 sports, and uh, it's been fun. I, the 24-7, 24-7, I, everyone I know with the company calls it 24-7, so I'll, I'll stick with that. <laughs> More power. And this one actually, we got to give thanks to Doc. I didn't know if we'd actually be able to get somebody this this big on the draft in here. This is all thanks to all thanks to my co-host pulling up all the weight on this. So, Doc, thank you, sir. Of course, Taylor and I have been been talking draft for uh, the last the last year or so. We'll uh, throw some ideas back and forth. He's a little, not even a little. He's a lot more knowledgeable than me. So, uh, it's always good to always good to get somebody on who who knows more than me. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we're very Braves-based, um, but we will talk about some of your teams a little bit later. So let's go ahead and kick off the draft talk. The Braves are picking eighth. Uh, if you had to bet money, are you going to go, Taylor, are you going to say pitcher or position player? Because I think everybody in Braves country for like the past five years, six years, has been inundated that it's going to be a pitcher. Um, I will guarantee you that it is going to be one of those items. <laughs> um <laughs> They're all over the board. Um, the Braves last year were the same way. The year before, they were the same way. You, you don't know who they're going for until the day of. Uh, last year, we were in a strong belief that uh, on the last day, they had a deal with Royce Lewis, who ended up going number one, uh, ended up pulling a deal at the last second, and they went with Kyle Wright. So it's it's still a little bit of best player available, um, who they're going to be able to to take. Uh, from everything I've heard this year, it's the same thing. They're they're in on everyone, uh, and that's how it was the years prior, and it's kind of how it's probably going to be. Uh, you know, this is a big telling year with Alex Anthopoulos at the top at the helm, um, but y- you can't go one way or the other when it comes to the Braves. That's good because I'm a I'm a big believer in I like a lot of the position prospects because we have twelve thousand pitchers. Um, so with my favorite name right now, and I've bounced around, I'm a big fan of Nander DeSantis, but he's kind of fallen down a lot of boards. So now I'm actually hoping that he's there in round two uh, and you could still sign him away. The guy that I'm on right now, though, is Connor Scott uh, out of the same high school as Kyle Tucker down in Florida. Basically a Kyle Tucker clone size-wise. He's 6'4", about 185. Uh, big five-tool guy. Uh, do you know anything about him? Have you seen him? I have not seen him in person. Uh, obviously, a Florida kid. I don't get out to Florida as much as I'd like. Uh, mostly based out here in the West. Um, but yeah, very toolsy across the board. Uh, very good athlete. Uh, added some strength to his frame over the winter, uh, and the power came a little bit more. We all knew that he was going to be able to hit. He has the speed. He can play the field. Um, but with that added uh, strength and to his core and everything like that, he's really become a complete player. And one of those guys, he's, he. He's dealing with an injury right now, um, but as we move forward, obviously this is a guy we're going to be talking about in the first round, and uh, if he slips to the second round, it'd be very impressive if he doesn't go to the University of Florida. So it does seem like he's been really slept on when you look at what he brings to the table. Uh, you talk about you, you mentioned the uh, adding the power, but even coming into the season, he was seeing Kyle Tucker was obviously a fairly easy comp for a lot of people because they played at the same school. But every place I've, I've read about him and from what little I've seen is he's a Kyle Tucker with a little less power but with true 70 speed instead of around the 55 speed like Tucker. So a guy who can actually play center field and has a strong arm even though he's kind of working out how to set his feet to get the most out of his arm. 
I kind of see him as a better version or a more prepared version uh, to the Braves' second-round pick a year ago in Drew Waters. Am I off base? No, you're not. And I think the Kyle Tucker comparisons really just start with the school and kind of end there. Um, it's a similar frame. It's a similar draft item. But the swing is about where I stand. Um, I think they're two different players outside of coming from the same program, having the same coaching growing up. Uh, but, yeah, I'm trying. I'm sorry. The, the Navy, uh, Drew Waters, I think, is another guy that's similar but a little bit different. Connor Scott's just one of those really good athletes that's grown into some power that we all know he's going to hit well and he's going to be one of those pesky guys that can play the game real well. Um, not pesky off the field, really great kid off the field. The makeup's fantastic. Going to play center field long term. Um, yeah, like you said, Drew, Drew Waters was one of my guys that I really liked. But I think that these are kind of just comparing players is a very challenging thing to do. And I think the Kyle Tucker comps really just stop at the swing in the school. Now, you mentioned he's a Gator commit. So that is obviously the big problem is if you if he goes too low, going to the Florida Gators for a year or for a couple years is not exactly bad, especially with the run people like to do on college players. And in 17 games, I don't know what he's been at right now, but his first 17 games of the season, I was talking to Doc before the show started. This is his slash line, 520, 613, 920 with four homers, four strikeouts, and 11 walks. That that seems insane for a guy that's not on anybody's top 10 list. Yeah, and, and uh, this isn't just – when you look at the numbers, it's tough with high school kids because it depends on where they're playing, the talent level. Uh, Plant High School is in the heart of Florida, uh, big-time programs that they're facing off against, and that's why Connor Scott went from a guy that – was maybe like a second or third round toolsy guy into that first round conversation. Um, you're hearing his name starting around uh, 12. Um, he, he could slip into the top 10. I think the injury kind of took him down a little bit. I think he was working his way towards that top 10 conversation, but definitely a guy that's in the teens. Uh, teams are going to have him near the top of their boards at that place. For a team like the Rays or a team like the Royals, who who their first pick is in the is in the late teens and they've got multiple picks in the the 30s and uh, some of the the comp round, do you think that he's a guy that they could take a long look at? They could offer him enough money to sign him away from his commit to Florida. Oh, absolutely. I, the the big question mark of this draft is how are the Rays and the Royals and the Indians going to go about it? Because especially for the Royals who are in the middle of a rebuild. This might be one of the most important stepping stones for their franchise as a whole. Um, so you're looking at basically everyone that you can. Uh, and what made them successful uh, with their World Series run just not that long ago was athleticism, defense, power pitching. Um, and I think that's what they're going to go and look for this year. Uh, Connor Scott, definitely one of those athletic outfielders that would definitely fit the bill when it comes to uh, the Royals. As for the Rays, uh, they're a little bit of a question mark. We don't know what's going to happen because of where that office kind of tends to go to. They go to guys that maybe they won't be able to get on the free agent market. And it's obviously worked out for them between, uh, you know, Chris Archer right now. Um, Will Myers was a guy that was a very, uh, even though maybe he's not the MVP kind of guy in the National League that we're seeing and they traded him off one of those high-end caliber players. So the Rays might be looking for upside, and Connor Scott would definitely fit that bill. Now, Doc's guy, 
finally there's there's a few places that have him fallen a little bit. So, Doc, I'm going to let you take this away before you get mad at me. Well, first thing is I would like to apologize. I, I had tweeted out that Baseball America had my, my number one guy in this draft slotted to the Braves in their newest mock. And, Taylor, as you pointed out to me, you actually beat them to the punch on that. So uh, my deepest apologies to you. But if the Braves take Jared Kelenic out of uh, out of Wisconsin, I'm just going to be the uh, the happiest boy on the block. So talk to me a little bit about Jared Kelenic. Uh, before the season started, he was my guy. He was my number one guy, um, even over guys like Casey Mice, who my colleague Jeff Ellis has been up on top of since it all started. Um, I love the tools. I think he's above average in every tool, including power. The swing is fantastic. He's going to hit. He's going to be able to play center field. He has average or better speed at a minimum. This is a true five-tool guy. Um and when we talk about five-tool guys, we immediately think of Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, uh, Bryce Harper. He's not one of those guys, but definitely a guy that's going to be maybe a four- or five-win player in the future, uh, depending his development. Um, as for the comment about Baseball America, we're all getting the same information from you know sources that we all kind of stem from. Um, I will never take anything away from Carlos Colazzo and everyone over there at Baseball America. I think they're fantastic. I was just really happy that when I put my uh, mock draft, my um, kind of teaser for a mock draft just a few days before that we had the same information that made me really happy. <laughs> now, Kellenick, hold on. I'm, I'm sorry. Kellenick, would you say um, a team that's taking him, they're not expecting the, the Mike travel. Would you say like a, a Yelich type of five tool? I think Christian Yelich is a little bit different. Jared Kellenick kind of puts the ball in the air a little bit more. Um, I, I brought an offensive profile uh, up and I mentioned it as a Jeff Conine kind of guy um, who maybe not an MVP caliber kind of player, but one of those guys that continually puts forth a uh, future middle of the order bat, maybe even cleanup um, could lead off games for you, depending what his approach becomes and stays. He obviously has one of the best approaches of any high school player right now. Could be a leadoff guy with a speed. Um, Christian Yelich, maybe that tier of player, um, I'm trying to think of a current guy that I could compare him to, but I, I'm not a big comp guy. Um, but yeah, I, I would say whatever level you would place Christian Yelich in as a tier, maybe a second tier all-star kind of guy, then yeah, you could look at Jared Kalenic as that kind of guy. If you put him in that tier, I'm all in, because not everybody can be Mike Trout or Ronald Acuna. That is uh, few and far between. Um, one name that I'm seeing... Uh, across the board, and I was looking at fan graphs, I was looking at Baseball America, I was looking at a few other places. One of the names that keeps getting thrown out, he's never the number one selection, but he was on everybody's I saw, he was on their like their could also pick list, and that's Mason Denneberg, also out of Florida. Uh, what do you like and what do you dislike about Mason? The only thing I dislike right now is the bicep uh, tendonitis. Uh, aside from that, I am a huge Mason Denneberg guy. Um, I have really been tracking Carter Stewart a lot and he had a start against, uh, Denneberg and just both guys really impressive. I like Denneberg's velocity. Uh, it's that mid nineties. So it's not really scaring you away from too high a velocity for an 18 year old. Um, he'll be 19, very athletic guy. I love athletic pitchers. Um, maybe the breaking stuff isn't as good. Um, but a guy that can command his fastball, and obviously you're going to be looking at him as a developing the breaking ball. Um, but it's still good. It's good enough to not see him as just a project, and you don't really want to take projects alone in the first round. But 
I think maybe the injury has pushed him back to the second round uh, or late first round. Um, he's come back well, but another guy, another Florida commit that it, there's questions because his signability is going to be tough because he could be a two sport guy at Florida. Um, obviously the Florida commit itself is just uh, something you have to look at for money's sake. But yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Mason Denneberg as a pitcher. I'd, I'd love to see him sneak into the first round and, and have a team really focus on development of his uh, breaking ball. And he could become a mid rotation kind of guy for me. You mentioned Carter Stewart just now. And with all of the advanced data that, that uh, people can obtain anymore, his spin rates on his curveball are already major league ready. Seth Lugo wishes his curveball spun like Carter Stewart's does. And he looks to be in that same kind of five to 10, 15 tier uh, that, that Denenberg would be in, that Kalanick would be in. So do you think that he's, uh, that the Braves are taking a long look at him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Carter Stewart actually has play up even at the second overall pick with the Giants. Uh, Cincinnati's taken an extended looks at five. Um, even uh, the White Sox Mets. Uh, the Padres, A.J. Preller just recently went to see him and one of his best outings. But, yeah, the Braves are absolutely in on Carter Stewart. Uh, one of those guys, he came into the season throwing in the low-ish 90s, had maybe a little bit of mid-90s to him. Now he's sitting in the mid-90s and is touching the high 90s. Um, definitely a guy that, you know, could be the most talented pitcher out of this draft outside of Casey Mize. Uh, time will tell, but yeah, teams that love the spin rate, love the curveball, the fastball is fantastic. The changeup really isn't as bad as uh, as most high school players. Um, a lot of guys don't have to use the changeup, but continually throwing strikes. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Carter Stewart, and I think the Braves actually are a very highly likely potential landing spot for him. I don't think he makes it outside of the top ten. When I was uh, I was reading Kylie McDaniel's work on Facebook on uh, Fangraphs a little bit to kind of uh, get some some scouting notes on some of these guys, and the biggest takeaway he had between Stewart and Denneberg was not current level; it was future. Whereas Denneberg's curve, in Kylie's estimation, is is more a present plus, not a future plus. So what it is now might be about as good as it gets. Whereas Carter's stuff, he said Carter had a uh, had the potential to have three to four plus pitches. Is that that? That would be insane. Do you think a guy like that would actually slip to eight? I it's it's a big question mark. He's kind of the the wild card of the top ten picks. Uh, everyone has him in on their board near that range. Um, if he falls out of the top ten, it's going to be surprising because you have teams like Baltimore uh, who are looking at guys like that, but probably don't expect to have Carter Stewart available. You have Toronto who. So looking at guys like that, don't expect them to have a, to be available. Pittsburgh loves pitchers like Carter Stewart, projectable frame, uh, able to spin a ball. Uh, they're huge on advanced data. Um, but I just uh, personally, right now at this moment, what we're three and a half weeks away from the draft, I don't see him getting past the Braves. I think he's going to be selected before or at eight. Now, one we- of the biggest biggest themes that you see about guys this year. Come the preseason rankings, you had Ethan Hankins, Brady Singer, Bryce Terang, and none of the guys that were ranked at the top have been able to hold their position. All of those, whether it be from injury or underperformance, have fallen kind of down the closer to 10 or maybe into, into the 15 range. 
you're an Angels guy, so you're sitting in the middle of the first round. Who do you hope falls to the Angels? Well, I, I cover the Angels, uh, not an Angels fan personally. Um, basing on what we have, the Angels are targeting uh, highly athletic players. That's what they've gone and been open about is up the middle, athleticism. Um, I think what you're looking at right now is guys like Jordan Adams, uh, Bryce Terang, but those guys have high price tags, and the Angels really like to expend their money uh, all the way through the draft. So maybe they'll pass on a guy like that to get maybe one of the falling uh, college arms, maybe a Jackson Cower, maybe a Ryan Rollison. Um, even if they go the prep route, maybe a guy like Ryan Weathers. Ethan Hankins is an option. Uh, injuries took him. Uh, it was a shoulder injury. He's come back, thrown mid-90s, uh, isn't up in those high 90s. Kind of does lack a, a true um, plus second pitch. Um but, yeah, there's guys all across the board, maybe a Mike Vassil at a Boston College uh, high school up in Boston. Um, but I think the aim, I think everyone that's in those 15 to 20 range is going to have to deal with who uh, falls to them or who uh, just happens to be at the top of their board or who they can make a deal with in the second. Um, that goes for all teams. Um, but, yeah, as an Angels guy, I mean uh, – Gosh, for coverage sake, if I could cover one kid that ends up landing them, um, I would say Bryce Terang is the guy. He's a local guy out here from uh, Riverside area. Um, I would say if, if just for personal sake, if I was to cover a guy for the next three to four years in the minors um, going forward, Bryce Terang would probably be the guy I'd be most excited about. Do you have any worries about Terang that he hasn't necessarily put up the same type of of numbers in the past, really about the past year and a half, when you're going out to the other showcases and, and things of that nature, he's kind of been more defensive uh, when he really is, is a lot more talented than most of the players he's facing. Does that worry you at all? It doesn't worry me. I think this guy's been picked apart because he's been on uh, everyone's you know chart for so long. Everyone knows who Bryce Terang is if you cover the draft, and you've known him for over a year. Um, it's not necessarily prospect fatigue because he didn't grow as much into the power, uh, but he had a game in front of a lot of high-end executives where his power showed. He hit two home runs. Um, one of those guys, you know he's going to hit. You know he's going to play defense well. Um, it's all based on development from that point on. So, no, I, I have no concerns when it comes to Bryce Terang. I think he's a fantastic baseball player, well-rounded, one of the top shortstops, if not the top shortstop uh, in this draft. Um, and I'm a big shortstop guy. So, yeah, Bryce Terang, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he snuck into the top 10 uh, after all the talk that we've had that it's down year for him or anything like that. I still think he's a guy that teams in the low teens are still looking at as promising. Now, keeping it closer to your neck of the woods, uh, there's there's three other players out there that I keep seeing consistently with talks uh, in the late the late top 10 into the 15 to 18 range, uh, Cole, Wynn, Nolan Gorman and Matthew Liberator. What do you know about those guys and which one of those three is your favorite? Oh man. Uh, Matt Liberatore is my favorite guy, uh, out of that group. Um, incredibly projectable arm that you can fall back on. Everything is above average coming out of his arm. Um, high end speed for a lefty that, you know, he's going to grow into, professional frame body. I'm a huge Matt Liberatore guy. I think he's going to be in the top 10 
Uh, be really surprising if he fell out of the top 10. Cole Wynn, just outside of that, uh, probably the most consistent pitcher in this draft. Um, just every outing is exactly the same. He's going to strike out double digits. He might walk a guy, maybe walk a guy, maybe allow a hit or two. Uh, he's going to go a complete game for you, not allow any runs. Definitely the most consistent guy, and I know that he's uh, in those early teen areas. Um, Nolan Gorman is probably the big question mark for me. I, I like Nolan Gorman. The power upside potential is more than anyone in this draft. Uh, he's going to be able to hit, but he's added a little bit of weight, uh, not the weight you necessarily want to see out of a, a guy that is not going to be a shortstop for you. He's going to be a third baseman or a first baseman long term, uh, but incredibly young, uh, a lot left to tap into when it comes to Nolan Gorman. Another one of those guys, like you said, uh, right inside or right outside the top 10 is a good spot for them. When you start looking at, you know, we've been talking a lot about guys that are in the, in the, the top 20 range. When you start looking into the second round, you still have the opportunity to get guys that are really tooled up but maybe didn't perform the, the way that people thought that they would coming into the season. Uh, one of Dylan's biggest guys is Nander DeSatis. When you look at Nander DeSatis, what do you see? Do you see a guy that's just underperforming? Do you see that any of his tools have regressed? Do you think that he's going to stick around till? is he like a day two guy now? Or do, do you think that he winds up getting nabbed by somebody and who can who thinks they can kind of refine him? Well, if you saw my pre, uh, preseason draft rankings, he was number two on my board. I mean, I, I thought Nander DeSatis would be a guy that could sneak in as a, as a first overall pick. Um, he just didn't hit this spring. He really didn't hit this spring. It sounds like second round is kind of his projected area. Uh, what I think would be great for him is to go to school, go to Florida State, uh, come back in three years, and, and see if you can be a very successful um, college player. Uh, he actually, I'm trying to think, his birthday's here in July, so he might be he might be a draft eligible uh, sophomore. Um, so two years, three years out. Um, but yeah, definitely a guy that's coming up in the second round more than he is in the first round when it comes to conversations, uh, tools across the board. Um, defense is very good, but probably a guy that would be better value-wise as a third baseman in the long run. Um, personally, I think he should go to Florida State. I think guys that uh, have that big of a question mark on their career should go to school to figure out their career a little bit better. You've now made me very sad because I, when I first started digging into the draft, I got into looking at DeSatis, and I love his profile as – I've, I've watched a lot of his defense, and I like to pride myself a little bit on, on shortstops and, and played a little bit, so I, I like to take a look at the shortstops. I didn't see anything necessarily wrong with his defense. He gets a little showy for my taste, but for a young shortstop, that's not surprising. Um, what I love is the power potential and the hit tool uh, and is a switch hitter. I, I think that the sky could be the limit if he could put it together. Uh, I'm very sad that he hasn't put it together this spring. When you look at his perfect game numbers and you, you see what he's hitting, where he's hitting 96 from shortstop, uh, where he, he's got nice power, he's fast. I love it, and I do think that he could play at third base as well. I don't necessarily think with the way that baseball is moving towards the bigger shortstop, I don't think that you'd have to move him, though. Oh, no, you, you don't have to move him. I just think value-wise on that profile, he's a guy that would make more sense as a third baseman. Um, 
just because the, of the quick twitch actions aren't as it, it's the lack of quick twitch quick twitch action. Um, but yeah, he's a capable defender at shortstop, uh, and I won't deny that at all. I won't take that away from him. And the offensive upside is definitely where you want to place your future value on this kid. It's just the question of why didn't he hit well this spring? Um, is it better competition that he's struggling with? What's going on? Um, and like we said, it, it's more a performance thing than it is any injury, any off-field event that happened. And that's why I think have a guy like him to develop a little bit more would just make his career a little bit better. Have him figure out where he needs to make corrections under a semi-professional, which is what I think we can call college coaches these days, especially in the SEC, um, in a semi-professional nature, the way that uh, he'll learn at Florida State. So the Carlos Correa comp may be a little bit too early that he was getting last year. Might not quite be that ready. Well, you know, he went to the same school as uh, Francisco Lindor, so immediately uh, you're going to get one of these guys that's coming from uh, the Florida area, you know, Puerto Rico, Florida. And basically any shortstop that's brought up that's uh, a senior that is of that caliber kind of guy is going to be compared to some all-star some way. Um, I think when we saw him over the summer, uh, he had talks of being that kind of player. But I think he's going to have to go to school to become something like that. I don't necessarily think that that's, that's a good thing to put on those players. Because when you talk about a Lindor and a Correa and a Seager, even though they all kind of came up at the same time, those are very, very special players. Those are, those are not plucked them off the tree just because they went to that same school. Those, I, think, I think we really are in a kind of a shortstop revolution over here. Uh, those are guys that you would not see very many of them. If you go back 20 years, you don't find many shortstops that multi-talented. No, not at all. And as you guys being Braves guys, you know all about Kevin Maiton. Um, and the comparison that maybe one scout made a comment that he has a Miguel Cabrera body type or something like that. And suddenly everyone expects him to be Miguel Cabrera when he obviously never is. There, there are very few players in the history of baseball that are going to have a career similar to Miguel Cabrera. Um, so, yeah, I think comparisons are just knocks on players. I, I think that, that when you dead set it on a certain group or a certain player, uh, you're really making an unfair statement or uh, opinion. It's more opinion. Um on a player that's 16, 17, 18 years old. That's, I think that's unfair. I'll still do it because it's fun, but I, I agree with you. The people that hold firm to it, there's so much it, – it's so much different in baseball than it is in football where you can look at a college kid in football and you can see traits, you can see styles, and you can say, okay, he, he runs like this person. When he runs away, he looks like this person. And they don't have the same type of adjustment that they have to make. And the name of the game for Major League Baseball is adjustment. It is not talent. Everybody in the majors is talented. The question is, can you adjust when they adjust? And the mental aspect is what makes baseball such a a different sport and what makes somebody like Mike Trout so insanely talented uh, to the point where I would say he is the best at his sport as compared to anyone else. He is better at baseball than LeBron is at basketball. Uh, than Tom Brady's at football and so on and so forth. So I do want to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about those Angels because I will have to admit they are now kind of my 1B team. The Braves will always be my number one team. 
Um, Angels have come hard at being number two, and that's because they now possess my three favorite players to watch in the entire game, uh, besides Ronald Acuna. That is Mike Trout, who is a Terminator sent from the future to just destroy the game of baseball and destroy the record books. Uh, Shohei Otani, who is, in my opinion, the most exciting player to watch in baseball right now. And Angelton Simmons, who I will always, always have a soft spot for. As somebody that covers the Angels, what's it like to finally have a team out there that has a serious base of talent? Uh, it's been a while. I mean, uh, we're, I think it was, uh, what was that, 2014 or 13, they won 98 games, and that was a really exciting team to cover. And for the first time in a few years, there's a lot of excitement. There's excitement at each position. Um, there's not a whole lot of glaring holes anywhere, uh, maybe in the rotation. But, yeah, like you said, this is the most exciting Angels team that we've seen in, in quite a while. In addition to Andrelton Simmons, you've also got Justin Upton, who's manning and left manning left field for you right now. And I know that he was not acquired directly from the Braves, but you and I have talked about this a number of times. I mean, going back for so long, the Braves and Angels have so many different crossover players. Uh, even even Brandon Phillips last year at the at the end of August wound up getting flipped over there for Tony Sanchez. I mean, and now I saw Matt Custard uh, pitching against the Braves t- today for, for Mobile. So why is that? Is, is there anything specific or is it just uh, a really ridiculous coincidence that it keeps happening? I, I don't know. Uh, Billy Epler seems to have a great re- relationship with Al Avila of the Tigers and he seems to have a great relationship with the Braves front office, uh, regardless of if it's Alex Anthopoulos or uh, um, <laughs> I'm not uh, John Copalella. I don't know why I'm why I'm blanking there. John, John right? Copalella. Copalella. And I, I made a joke. Um, I made a joke about it. Um, uh, hold on one second, guys. If you guys can chat between yourselves for 10 seconds, I've got to run something real quick. Okay, so yeah, uh, I'm going to ask this when Taylor gets back, but Doc, for you, we were talking about this a little bit before the break, uh, before we started the show. The Angleton Simmons deal is the infamous deal of the rebuild as the the setup for, holy crap, this thing is done. We're trading all of our guys. Newcomb has done something that put himself in consideration, put himself next to Greg Maddox and the the name. It was three straight starts of seven innings. Scoreless, scoreless innings, right? What do uh, what would, for the Braves' perspective anyway, what would Newcomb have to do to make that trade, make the Braves win that trade, not just make that a wash? What would Newcomb have to be for the Braves to come out on top of that, and in, in the mind of the Braves fan? In the mind of the Braves fan, I, I don't think that it that it's ever going to wind up being equal. Uh, we, you and I, had talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and you had said that in order for Newcomb, in, in order to make that trade even, then Newcomb would have to be the best at his position, the way that Simmons is the best at his. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. And Newcomb might not ever be Kershaw level or Scherzer or Syndergaard or any of these guys, but he has really shown th- he's rounding into form. Big time. He he is just attacking guys. He's had a couple just really really impressive outings. The use of his changeup. He's using it more than his curveball now, and his curve was the that kind of swear worthy pitch. You know that big old big old loopy thing that everybody kind of fell in love with. So 
I have made the case that if you start to look at how some of the other pieces of that trade filtered out, Ibar got Cade Savick. Well, Savick got released. And then uh, Chris Ellis, I believe he was Chris part of that. Ellis, yeah, Chris Ellis was in the Jaime Garcia trade, and that got Oscar Noah. And we Noah's scar. not really doing anything right. Yeah, he's, he's walking the entire planet. So if you're just looking at Simmons versus Newcomb, Newcomb's going to have to do what he did for the last six starts for the rest of his career. But it starts to look a little bit better. When he was walking five and a half for nine, then everybody's going, this was a horrible trade. And now you look at it and go, hey, it wasn't that bad. And for one time and one time only, I will be nicer on this trade because I'll be mm-hmm. completely honest. It will never, in my mind, be an even deal because Andrelton was so in- insanely good at playing the shortstop position, and that was always my favorite position, so it's always kind of the one I key on, and the shortstop is such a key member of your team. To have somebody that was a guaranteed highlight literally every time, every single night, he would make a highlight play. And Dansby's done fine at defense. He's done really well for most of this year. And even that seems like nothing when you watch what Anderson does on a night-in, night-out basis. Um when you're watching a guy that makes Brandon Crawford look like Tim Anderson, that's ridiculous. Now, and I, I'd say that to say this. If Newcomb is is really impressing me this season, I haven't been traditionally very high on him. Uh, a lot of people got kind of carried away with the John Lester comp when he was younger just because he was a big-bodied lefty that could throw 95 to 97. Uh, when he really, when he was throwing like that, he pitches like Scott Casimir when Casimir came up. But what I've seen from Newcomb this year, which has delighted me, is he's actually taking it, he's taking a lot off the fastball. He's throwing it 92 to 94, but he's doing that in locating, which to me is, is far more important than running it up 102, is being able to actually put the ball where you want to. That is a much better. That's a, that's a much better path to success as a major league pitcher uh, when you can actually consistently locate low or on the corners. That's what leads you to, to getting out of the fifth inning without throwing 95 pitches a la Fulte. That's what allows you to put batters away, and you were dead on it with the changeup. His changeup doesn't have the most movement consistently. Now, some of them did last night where they just dropped off the table. But for the most part, what it's doing is it's a five to seven mile an hour difference on that pitch. And it's just wrecking uh, hitters timings because they're sitting on that curve. And that curve is beautiful to look at. I love watching it. But when you have one of those big loopers, as pretty as it is, you are going to give up bombs off it. Because if somebody is sitting back on that, that and they and it is where they can hit it. That thing is a moonshot waiting to happen. So I think it was actually more important for Newcomb to rely more heavily on that changeup than on that curve. So I love what he is doing so far this year. And I'll agree that the gap has closed. It no longer seems like a travesty of a deal. It still hurts me in my soul. But it I have no questions right now if Newcomb continues on his path that he will remain a fixture of the Braves rotation even with these young guys coming up. No doubt, no doubt, and I think, I think that if everybody didn't love Andrelton so much, it it would be a little bit different. But now, for for people that'll just go and watch Andrelton highlights and just pine over him, it's like going to your ex girlfriend's Instagram and it's just you know what I mean. Like, feels like you're taking a shot at me now. Ah, uh, well, no, not, <laughs> not exactly. But it wasn't my choice. I didn't want to break up with her. Hey, I know, I know, man, I know. Um, you're better off without her anyway. 
but but Taylor, so so what do you think? Uh, where do you stand on the Simmons versus Newcomb? In order for the for the Simmons versus Newcomb trade to start to swing towards the Braves, uh, well, it was the first move. Um, sorry, guys, I keep getting something. I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> This is what happens when you're interviewing somebody who's a very busy man at a very busy time of the year. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Anderson when he gets back because I want to get an Angels perspective on this because we only ever hear the Braves here in Braves country. So we always hear the what does Newcomb have to do to, to win the trade. I want to get his thoughts on what Angleton or what Newcomb ha- would have to do for them to lose the trade. Uh, but But waxing on a little bit more about the current lineup of the Braves. Uh, you saw yesterday, and we are recording this on Wednesday. So yesterday, Luis Gohara gets the call up to Atlanta to come out of the bullpen. Uh, what do you think? What do you like about that move? I think now Anthopolis already said today that they view, they still view him as a starter. Uh, he still ha- he just has some things to iron out, and quite frankly, nobody else has lost a job yet. Especially with Soroka, it appears is up for good. As long as he doesn't, you know, start to struggle really badly, it appears he's he's up here to stay, like we figured he would be. What do you get out of Gohar in the pen? I think there's just a big log jam happening right now. We've kind of known this is this was going to happen when all of these these 2015 drafty draftees kind of ascended at a similar rate, and you know, Soroka's not going anywhere, Julio's not going anywhere. I think. I think the fan base is starting to turn on Fulty, and based on Fulty's emotional reaction, I think he's starting to turn on the fan base too. I wonder what the front office is kind of looking at that thinking. So, But until something gets done about all that, um, a trade for McCarthy or, or whatever, I mean, Gahara, he kind of doesn't have a spot in the rotation right now. So to bide his time, as he's coming back from these spring training injuries, he needs to kind of get getting back to that spot. He had that killer instinct last year and he appears to have lost it. Some of that might be mental. His father passed over the winter and apparently his mother had some type of illness, which I didn't know about until just a couple of days ago. It was either Bowman or or DOB dropped that bombshell. But for now, Braves are going to have the best uh, assembly of lefties in the pen of maybe in baseball between Gahara, Minter, Biddle, Sam Freeman. That's that's a lot of lefties. More and I, I said this for a while, and even though that I, I do still fully maintain that Gohara has the most upside in his arm because he is such a unique player for a lefty that throws 100 miles an hour and has that gigantic sinker, I do still feel that he had the longest way to go to refine himself as opposed to Colby Allard, Soroka, Kyle Wright, etc. Because he was two pitches. And you saw what it was like for Newcomb last year, only throwing fastball and curveball. For Gohara, it's even a little bit worse because he's so prevalent on the inside corner. So if he doesn't place it right, a right-handed batter at the major league level gets a nice long look. And I figured that there would be some bumps along the road for him. Um, the more disturbing thing for me was the the drop in velocity, his last start in AAA, where he was down to 87 and 91. That is almost 10 miles. That was 10 miles an hour off what he normally sits. Did that worry you, or did that just seem to be he just didn't have it that day? Even if you're taking something off, 10 miles per hour is a lot. That is a lot is more a than lot. just I'm trying to control it. 
Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that's a conditioning thing. I don't know if that's a mechanical tweak that was that was hindering his velocity, but he could touch ninety eight. He was the hardest throwing lefty in baseball last year, even in, in that limited sample size. And that's part of why he was so effective while he was coming up. And man, if he if he's if he's topping out at ninety one, Julio, we we've been able to watch Julio kind of grow up a little bit and learn how to how to pitch as opposed to just being able to throw. And if Gahara's topping out at ninety one, God, I hope he knows how to pitch because that's that's not good. That's not. But this is this is why you get six hundred pitchers in a rebuild. So you in case something like this happens what worried me about it was was that it's very indicative of a shoulder problem for you to drop that much in your velocity uh especially because gohara did not have a a terribly aggressive motion he had a very easy motion so it worried me that there was something else lurking underneath now he hasn't been used yet we might get to take uh, we might get a look at him tonight uh in which case i'll be glued to the screen trying to see the the miles per hour theoretically if he's right and it was just a, a, a weird start for whatever reason, overthinking and trying to to aim the ball more than actually throw the ball, you could see him potentially hitting 99 to 101 in a bullpen stretch where he's not having to worry about going six to seven innings. Now, that would be very interesting to see because Gohara has that added ability of much like Tuki Toussaint. If starting doesn't work out, which, by the way, for Tuki, it looks like I was wrong. It looks like it's working out. Um if it doesn't work out, they have such an impressive arsenal and such impressive natural ability that they are a virtual lock for back into the bullpen work if starting doesn't work. But that's kind of what sets them apart from the guys like Lucas Sims, who a lot of people think Lucas can be very good in the back end. I think he could be very good in the seventh or eighth inning. But his is all mentality-based. Gohara, Tuki, guys like that is, is pure stuff because their stuff is so devastating that to bring them in for a one-inning stretch, it, it would be nearly impossible. And you talk about that with this this roster of pitchers as Bryce Wilson gets called up to double-A and wins his first game up there as well. You talk about there's going to be somebody that falls out because not even talking about all of the guys right now, you've got Newcomb, you've got Gohara, you've got Soroka, Allard, Bryce Wilson, uh, Wentz, Muller, Anderson, Tukey. You've got That is nine guys right there that I just rattled off. I don't even think I mentioned Kyle Muller. Uh, that is 10 right there that conceivably you hope at least are going to be battling for five spots. And some of those guys, Max Fried included, who I also left off the list, uh, Lucas Sims as well. Those are Some of those guys are going to switch to the bullpen. Some of those guys are going to get traded off and hopefully bring you in a big amount of return. But you look at just in those starting pitchers. Now, numbers dictate that all of those are not going to pan out. Somebody is going to end up um, Aaron blaring it and, and just not being competitive at the major league level. Um, but the way you've got those stacked up is even if half of those fail, you've got a starting rotation just out of those guys. That's not even counting Julio and Fulte. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And Taylor, are you back? Can we kick this over to you? Yeah, they, uh, they're restructuring a gate literally right outside my office. So I started getting questions and, all kinds of stuff. So uh, I, I should be back. I hope I don't have to cut out again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all you're, good. You're good. You're good. So, so as you know, you've been sitting and listening to us talk about all, all the different pitching options. We can turn this back around, back around to Sean Newcomb. He was the number one prospect in the Angels system when he got traded to the Braves. 
as he's starting to turn into a real guy, what has to happen? What does he have to do for that to become an actually regrettable trade from the Angels' perspective? Uh, probably win a couple Cy Youngs. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're seeing the the development and progress that Andrelton Simmons is doing on offense. We all know what he brings on defense, but really has transcended himself as a defensive player or an offensive player. Uh, we knew the high contact rate was always going to be there. Some power came, a little bit of line drive stroke that's been very impressive. Um, as for what Sean Newcomb brings, at the time, he was the only prospect in the Angels system. Um, Chris Ellis obviously was the second, I think he was the second rated prospect. I want to say something along those lines. He was one of the only guys that was one of those fringe major leaguers that was right on the outside looking in at that time. Um, so it was a major loss for the Angels, who needed starters moving forward. So a lot of Angels fans, even though they don't see, because uh, now we're looking at the long-term success that's going on with Andrew Simmons, uh, what happened with Eric Ibar, who would have been filling in at shortstop, um, the Angels definitely could have used Sean Newcomb the last few years. Uh, but it, it may have been very different from what's going on there. We talked about the the five-plus walks per nine guy that just couldn't throw strikes, and that was kind of what was going on with him over with Angels' development at the time. Um, but Billy Epler obviously has an eye for what's going on. Um, when we were talking about the trades uh, going between uh, John Capolella and Billy Epler, I made a joke on Twitter, and it was uh, Billy calling John saying, hey, John, and the guy on the other line says, no, it's Alex. He says, who? And he says, Anthopolis. He's like, oh, hey, Alex, who do you have for me today? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, as for Sean Newcomb and um, Andrelton Simmons, it, the trade has started a bar. So, sorry, guys, give me five seconds, literally five seconds. <laughs> it's good to hear from a Braves perspective that at least my guy is being appreciated the way that his prodigious talent should be. Uh, and speaking on Angelton's renewed offensive ability, it's actually a very simple answer. Uh, when he went to the Angels, the first thing that their hitting coach told him was to scrap the the opposite field approach that Seitzer was having him kind of, or if it was Seitzer or who was right before Seitzer, um, was that Greg Walker? Uh, Greg Walker, yeah. Uh, whoever whoever it was in Atlanta was trying to, to get Angleton to open up more to hitting the ball to the opposite field. And when he got to L.A., their hitting coach just kind of said, hey, do what you were doing before when you came up. We understand that you're going to pop the ball up some, but you're a better hitter when you pull the ball. And it helps him develop his power. Like when he had the 16 or 17 home run season in Atlanta, uh, it gives him it, – it makes him feel a little bit better at the plate. makes him relax a little bit more. So that's why you're seeing the turnaround there. The strikeouts are never a big deal with Angleton. What would annoy most Braves fans and Doc was the double plays because Angleton is not an especially fast player. Uh, just an insanely quick and intuitive player. But I, I think that's one of those rare trades where as much as it hurts to see somebody of his caliber go, both teams should be happy with how it's working out to this point. Absolutely. And Sean Newcomb, obviously uh, one of the premier left, left-handed left prospects in baseball, didn't really – you can call it stock drop because of where he ranked in terms of prospect rankings and everything – but I think that was uh, team fatigue. I think the Braves have such a plethora of arms, and the Angels just had absolutely zero prospects at the time. So if you're concerned about the prospect rankings and things like that, uh, you shouldn't be. You're seeing what Sean Newcomb is right now. 
And it, like you said, if, if he can continue to control the ball within the strike zone, trust that whatever he throws in the strike zone is either going to be missed or it's going to be chopped at, um, then, yeah, I don't think that the Sean Newcomb and Jordan Simmons trade is going to be viewed as a loss for either side. I think you could argue that uh, Andrew Elton Simmons has brought more value overall, but I don't think that you lost something major. I mean, uh, I won't say you lost something major because it is a big key for each team, but both sides got a very uh, important player to for the future. Uh, Andrew Elton obviously has a few more years in Anaheim, and Sean Newcomb has more years in uh, Atlanta. Now, before we close out, we're going to move over to our our – outside of the baseball questions before we get to those, I do have to ask about the name on everybody's lips. And that is Shohei Otani. If Shohei Otani were to have entered the draft, let's say, instead of coming over from Japan, how high would that grade have been? What, what realm of grade would you have had on Shohei Otani? Would it have been a Bryce Harper type of grade or would he have been a step below? Uh, I mean, are are you talking about when he came over from Japan or, or when he was 18? Let's say, let's say 18. At 18, I would have said he would have gone first overall as a pitcher. I don't think there would have been any question about that. Um, definitely still had premier velocity, was still working in the mid-90s, low mid-90s, still had the, the incredible slider and splitter. Um, maybe teams would have been concerned that an 18-year-old throwing a splitter, but uh, he would have gone first overall. The grades would have been slightly lower than what they are because of uh, just physical development and play time. So we got to get an idea of what Shohei Otani would be as a professional. Um, as a hitter, I don't know. I, I still have questions about him as a hitter um, and how he's going to be exposed on the inner half. He's taken away a ton of the questions about where you can and can't pitch him because he's shown the ability to adjust. I think uh, Eric Hinsky, or um, yeah, Eric Hinsky has altered his offensive game entirely. Um, but you also would have been drafting an outfielder at the time. So uh, 70 grade or better speed, uh, the arm in the outfield, you know he's going to play a corner. Um, <laughs> I mean, grade-wise, he still would have been a 60, 60 grade or better prospect just right out of the draft. The fun thing about Otani, and something I've noticed already, is in, this, in the, limited time, uh, the limited amount of time he's been here, he came over with a very high, very traditional Japanese leg kick on his swing. I don't see it quite the same way as when he came over. It looks a lot more Americanized, I'll say. He's, he still lifts the leg up pretty good, but he doesn't have that weird kind of motion like he's about to run forward, uh, where before he looked a lot like a, a Hideki Matsui type of leg kick. Uh, that seems to be gone away, and that seems to have helped him deal with some more increased velocity that you see here as opposed to the normal run-of-the-mill Japanese pitchers, not counting, like you say, Kikuchi. And you're saying as a pitcher or as a hitter? As a hitter. As a pitcher, he has that slight pause, which I love, actually. Right. The hitting, absolutely all credit goes to Eric Hensky, the hitting coach for the Angels. He took the leg kick away and said, let's just go with a toe tap. Let's just get you moving your front foot, getting a little bit more stability to fix your timing. And, I mean, we can see what he's doing now. Um, That literally happened within a week. Um, It was in spring training near the middle parts of spring training. And Hensky said, hey, let's try this. Let's do this. And Shohei just took off with it. And what? He's batting 280 with a couple home runs as a as, you know, part-time designated Four hitter. home runs, I believe, uh, and hitting him in the third row in, in BP at uh, uh, Coors Field. 
Oh yeah, third deck. I mean, he's hitting just mon. His batting practice is is. I think they need to open up Angel Stadium thirty minutes early to let the local fans in to see it. It's worth the, it's worth entering the ballpark early for. Where do you put him right now? Now. I actually got to get some Mike Trout love out of the way. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I'm sure you are being over there of just how good Mike Trout is and just how bad of a job Major League Baseball has done of, of marketing the best, the statistical best player to this point in his career. Um, are you aware that Mike Trout coming into this season, not even what he's done this year, coming in was already worth 55 war to, compared oh, yeah. to Bryce Harper, who he came in with 20 more war. 15 more yeah. than Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of people underestimate what's really happening there. Um, this is the greatest player we've seen. Um, I mean, I can't think of the last guy. Maybe Ken Griffey. You, I was about to say, you can go straight to Griffey. And that is, that is, it, it sounds superfluous to say that for a guy that's entering his seventh season, but it's, it's true. If he, if his health, if he maintains his health, which is going to be a question with his type of body, but I've seen nothing to suggest otherwise at this point. You're going to see somebody shatter numbers. Well, I mean, we have Albert Pujols here. And, yeah, he's on the decline. There's a lot there. But people forget what Albert did from 2001 to 2009. I mean, he was (laughs) – we were talking about him as the greatest right-handed hitter in the history of the game, and I still think that he is. But Mike Trout is putting up Albert Pujols numbers, uh, which is just incredible. It's remarkable what he's been doing, what he continues to do. He's getting better. That's the scariest part is he is getting better. Uh, almost about to reach his peak years over the next four years. They're supposed to be his peak years. And we've already seen him eclipse 10 war a season uh, multiple times. Now, this guy is, we haven't, we haven't seen anything like him in a very, very long time. He eclipsed 10 war his rookie season. He went 40 and 40 his rookie year. And I want to say that was in only like 130 games or something. Yes. Yeah. No, this guy is incredible. Um, we are going to see. And and I never – I always make this comment is people want to compare him to Mookie Betts or Bryce Harper. And I say don't, don't do that because when we look at what Bryce Harper is doing as a baseball player, that's historical. And Bryce Harper is one of the – most incredible baseball players I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, really a special, special baseball player. But then there's Mike Trout, who's, you know, 75% better. That's what I was about to say. If you won't say it, I will. Bryce Harper, incredible, not even close to Trout's level. Trout does not yeah. have a single weakness in his game. And the fact that he's putting up the Pujols-type numbers that you're talking about in center field, is the is the other outlier there in one of the most demanding positions on the field built like a linebacker and somebody that other players talk about when he runs he sounds like a freight train i can't talk enough about mike trout if i keep going my fanboyishness will really start to come out and it will become kind of creepy um so (laughs) i know we said 45 minutes for 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 the interview today so we're going to go ahead and kick it over to our fun questions before i get lost in a two-hour conversation on why mike trout's going to be the best player to ever live okay so let's do it first question is uh recently you and uh jeff ellis uh your your counterpart you you had mentioned uh you had a hour and 10 minute uh draft podcast and the the picture was designed to kind of like an old school uh, 
early 1900s or late 1800s uh, baseball photo, and you had an absolutely fabulous mustache. So the first question I have for you, one, was it real? Two, do you still have it? Uh, one, yes, it was real. Um, that photo was terribly photoshopped, uh, but the mustache was real. Um, I did mustache. Uh, no, it was a, it was November. Um, it was November. I usually do mustache March and November. Um, I started dating my wife back in, uh, 2013, 14, and, uh, she hates the mustache. So that was when I was, I was probably 19, 20 years old when that picture was taken. Um, I used to have a lot of fun with it. Um, I do not have it. I haven't had a mustache in about three, four years, and I only did it for a month at a time. Okay, fair enough. You know, because if you, you did still have it, you know, for anybody who has listened up until this point, you almost have to start it back over and uh, and listen to it now knowing that you have a mustache because I feel like it would change everything. It would make you yeah. more dignified. Well, it, it, changes, it changes your voice. It changes your mentality about who you are. I, it's a confidence booster. I, I miss having a mustache. I'm, I'm thinking I might be getting old enough to where I can have a mustache and not be weird and, or hipster. And, it's a very uh, fine maybe line. Maybe my wife will go for it then. It's a very fine line, Taylor. Yeah, it, it, it can, can't be an ironic mustache unless you're, uh, unless you're of a certain age. Oh, absolutely. Well, the thing with me is I didn't curl it. I, I hated the curling of it. Uh, I would never do that. Um, I live in the mountains. I'm a mountain man, so it'd be a mountain man mustache. Maybe Tom Selleck, you know? <laughs> nice. Very nice. One, once upon a time, I uh, I shaved my, my beard down to just the mustache, and I went outside to go cut the grass, and uh, I kind of wound up tanning around it a little bit. And so when I went to shave the mustache, it was like inverted. I looked ridiculous. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to be careful with that. But moving on. So you write a lot. You know, you do scouting reports and, and uh, you do a lot of, lot of typing. So what is a word that you struggle to type correctly, no matter how many times you have to do it? Ooh, Ooh that's a good um, Separate. Separate is a hard one for me, and I don't know why. Um I, I just did a word today. I'm, I'm working on a mock draft. I just did a word today. I'm trying to remember. It took me three, four times to spell it. Um, <laughs> going through. Um, guarantee. Guarantee and separate are two hard ones for me. <laughs> All, right. All right. Dylan, what about you? Disappoint. For some stupid reason, I want to add an extra S in there every single time. I'm with you on that one. Uh, I have to write the word criteria probably 15 times a day, and I spell it wrong every single time. So, third question. If you could fight a celebrity or two, who would you fight? And why? Oh, and why? Yeah, and only, why? T- only two? Many as you want. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, I don't know his real name. He was in The Hangover. Um, and he's in the office. Ed Helms. Ed Helms, thank you. I would, oh man, I would love to square. He's just, <laughs> he's just got that he face. Just, he looks like an ass. <laughs> um, Ed, Ed Helms, man, I feel like every time I watch a TV show, I say I hate that guy. And 
you can't punch kids, so I can't take any of the kids into account. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not actually punching them, so who would it be? The majority of kids on television. Don't even need to separate, just all of them. Just all of them? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I'll go with Ed Helms. Uh, Brad Keselowski. Do you guys know who Brad Keselowski is? The NASCAR driver? Yes, the NASCAR driver. I'm shocked you watch NASCAR. I'm a huge NASCAR fan. I've actually uh, I've worked in NASCAR before. I uh, used to be a race car driver. So, <laughs> really? Um, Brad Keselowski, definitely just horrendous face. That seems to be the key component. Is you have to have some people just have that face that you instantly. I don't like that guy. He can be the nicest person on the road. I just I don't like that guy. I've actually I know Brad Keselowski and he's a nice guy, but I just I hate his face. <laughs> um. So you got Ed Helms, Brad Keselowski. Man, I could probably just pull up list and list of names. Um, Toby Keith. Toby Keith is a guy. I get that one. Um, yeah, I'm trying. Uh, oh, and okay, I'll give you a guy. I I love him to death. I really do. Um, Brian Kenny, MLB Network. You want to punch Brian Kenny? <laughs> well, I like once just to get it out of the way. <laughs> like I really like Brian. I really do. He's a nice guy. Um, but just one of those guys that sometimes he says stuff that doesn't. I feel like he's not thinking. And you're just like, man, I just want to. Oh, no. Oh, God. No. Who's the guy that has the show on MLB Network in the morning? Chris Russo. Yes. Okay. No, uh, there's my number one right there. Chris Russo. What about you, Doc? I know you've got some pent up in there. For the longest time, Dick Vitale was at the top of my list because I just. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's a type of dandy, baby. But uh, I also had uh, Fred Durst and Pauly Shore on that list. Those are good. Those are very good. Well, any more, I, what I would do is I, I would like to acquire a missile, and I would like to wait until the Kardashians and the Jenners and Kanye West were all together, like either having a family reunion or like Thanksgiving or something. And I would hop on that missile and ride that thing like the end of Doctor Strange Love right into their living room, dude. I hate, I hate them. <laughs> I hate them all so much. And I hate them equally. Also, Courtney Love. Dylan, who do you got? There are so many. I'm going to have to pare this down uh, real quick. Uh, Ken Rosenthal. Very nice man. Very, very nice man. Can't stand his Pee Wee Herman face and his bow tie. Can't do it. That That's key number one. Uh, number two, anyone that uses, like, anyone that's over the age of, of 25 and uses, like, little kid slang, like, lit. I can't stand that. Uh, I feel like you need to be smacked in the face. There There's a whole host of others that I, I, I frankly do not have nearly enough time to hit this list, but... If I had to pick one other one, Brett Michaels. <laughs> okay. That's kind of an outdated one. You're 50 years old. What are you doing on a show called Rock of Love Bus? And come on, man. You were supposed to be a rock star in the glam heyday. You shouldn't be so hard up for chicks that you're on an, a VH1 show. That, that, I just feel, needs to be done out of principle. That's not very lit of you at all. Keep talking. You're going to move up my list there, Doc. All right. All right. 
Taylor, what is a fruit that you neither love nor hate? Ooh. Um, apples. Just kind of lukewarm on apples? Yeah. I, apples are okay. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think here. I love peaches. Um, I have a maybe the most awkward allergy in the world. I, I can't eat mangoes. Um, How do you even bananas, I, I like bananas. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with apples here. Dylan, what's your lukewarm fruit? Grapes. I can eat them or it, it, it does not matter to me. Fair enough. I think I'd like pears a lot more if the texture was different. That's a good uh, one texture too. makes it, man. That's a good well, one too. I could have like, said pear. It's kind of like a kiwi, where it's like even while you're eating it, you're just like, oh, man, damn it, this could be so much better if it was just the skin feels little... hairy. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But well, I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Taylor, tell an embarrassing childhood story. Ooh. Um. <laughs> uh, I can't think of any. Oh, you got something in there. No, I mean, like, I'm trying to think, like, did I crap my pants at school? Or, like, I'm, I'm trying to think of... Uh, um, you ever chip a tooth trying to dunk a basketball? Something. We've had somebody come on here and say they got their head stuck in the bars at a mall, like the bars across the walkway at a mall. That was a good one. <laughs> all right. All right. Here's one. Um, I was, uh, I was a kid and I was feeding birds and I don't know what kind of bird it is, but their toes are like three webbed. It's like they have three toes kind of thing. And while I was feeding them, they started coming to me and I thought their toes were snakes. And I started freaking out and running, and I tripped over myself, and the bird, the bag fell on me, and the birds kind of took over on top of me. And I thought they were snakes, you know. I, I'm thinking snakes are all over me, and I've got way more embarrassing stories from my adulthood than I do as a kid. I mean, uh, just the other week, I had a snake crawl up in my chassis on the snake story. Found out it was a rattlesnake, and I pulled it out by the head. That's not embarrassing. That's just awesome. Yeah, that's pretty badass. I felt like an idiot because I didn't know it was a rattlesnake. <laughs> no, that's where you take the picture and you show off that this is what I do in my spare time. Oh, yeah. Snake wrestler. I got over my fear of snakes when I was feeding birds. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, that's a good claim to fame. Well, that the uh, the Tell Embarrassing Childhood Story is a repeat question. And the, the last question that we're going to ask is also a repeat question. Uh, the score on this is uh, is favoring Dylan, so I really hope that you give the the right answer on on your final question. Uh, are you familiar with the movie Boondock Saints? You know, I I've seen it in bits and pieces, but I haven't seen the whole thing through. Of what you saw, is it a good movie or is it not? Um. I don't think I have an opinion. I, I have to see a movie the whole way through to really say if it's a good movie or not. Um, from what I saw, I was intrigued. I'll go yes! with that. Uh, so I'll say, I'll, I'll give it a 75-25 yes. Boom. 
Okay. Doc, it's time for you to just rethink that whole take, man. You're going to ask this question until it swings back in my favor. You're down three. Four to one to one. Taylor. I I remembered an embarrassing story. I do. Go for it. All right. So I live um, or where I grew up as a child. Uh, I was second story and I don't know, maybe 15 feet off the ground or something with my window. You know, the first story goes up eight feet and then probably another seven feet above that. And as a child, I had an owl that would perch outside my window. And to this day, I'm terrified of owls. Just can't even look at them on TV. All these commercials have these (laughs) stupid owls and it pisses me off. But I decided one night that I'd had it. And I went to throw, I don't remember what I threw. I threw it out the window from the window and I fell out the window, but it was, it had snowed the day before. So I had snow on the ground. Um, so I fell into snow, but this is at like two, three in the morning. Right. So I'm digging through snow in my pajamas like an idiot. Uh, I was, I mean, I was older. I was probably 11 or 12 at this time. So I'm 11 or 12 at this time. And uh, I go and knock on the front door because it's locked. And my mom comes and she's like, what What in the world is going on? <laughs> so I'll go with that one over the, the bird snakes. It was both pretty good. I once tried to sneak out. I was probably 14 or 15. We had a basketball goal outside my window, but not one that was like attached to the house. So I thought and I was up probably probably 15 feet, 15, 20 feet. So I decided I had a bright idea to climb down the basketball goal. Unbeknownst to me that there was not enough sand in the basketball goal to weigh it down with a, a, a teenager on the top of it came crashing down into the driveway. Big bang bounced up, put a huge dent in my father's truck. Ooh. Ooh. Oh man. Now I have another one. <laughs> what do you got? So I was like two or three years old at this time. And my dad is a, a big Porsche guy. He he buys them, restores them, sells them. And uh, we were in his truck. I was about two or three years old, and I pulled the emergency brake from the truck, from the driver's seat, and it crashed into the garage into two separate Porsches. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys are bringing back just awful memories of my childhood here. Oh man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I have yeah, I, I have about this, ten thousand. The the stories it it depends on if it's actually embarrassing or if it's just your life and what happened. So I don't consider them embarrassing. They happened far too many times. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I I have I have not told an embarrassing childhood story yet, and I and I, I feel bad for the fact that you guys have told multiple. So I I will I'll give you guys this one. Um, I was. I think this was 1989. My my brother and my dad were out in the yard, and I was uh, I, I already knew how to ride a bike, kind of, but I wasn't really comfortable with it. And, and one day, I like I just kind of went out, and I I was I learned how to ride a bike on this day. And we we lived like kind of right on the at the base of this hill, right? So I, I come hauling through the backside of the neighborhood, and I come cresting over this hill, and I'm like, you know, this is the best I've ever been riding a bike and I look at I you know I look over at my dad my brother who were in the yard and I and I was like hey dad I'm really doing it or whatever and uh while I did this I pulled off to the right and slammed my face so hard into our neighbor's mailbox that like it like 
I stopped, but my legs swung out from underneath me, so, like, the bike kept going like there was a ghost <laughs> on it or something. And uh, I haven't been on a bike since. That's always <laughs> True good. Story. Actually, that, that's not entirely accurate. I got really loaded on Crown Royal at the beach one year, and I decided that that was a good time for me to, to relearn. To reclaim, like reclaim your youth? Yeah. Um, so, so it's like midnight down in Florida. I'm, I'm riding a bike with no shirt and flip-flops because drunk skunk. It went back. I, uh... One sticks out vividly in my memory as it actually almost got defax called on my father. Um, we were out in the yard playing catch, and I have let's. I was a shortstop growing up, so I had a flair for the dramatic play. Um, so I made a, a pretty sweet dive, come up, spin around, launch like I'm trying to hose somebody, hit a tree, directly bounces right into my eye. Gives me a black eye for about three weeks. The gym teacher calls defects on my father uh and calls to meet him before the defects guy actually comes in so almost got my father arrested that a boy god <laughs> how many black eyes did you guys get as kids playing catch oh probably four or five my dad Easy. was not real good at like we did not do the thing where you would toss the ball to somebody uh even when i was little it was like you actually throw the ball throw the ball and uh trees and i were not friends so the bounce off a tree and hit myself in the eye probably happened two or three times just with that. I don't I don't think I ever wound up getting a black eye from that, but I did get hit in the head with an aluminum bat when I was uh it I mean this was in the same uh same time frame as as my, my ghost bicycle incident. Um yeah, man, that thing swelled up like like nothing. But uh I think I was trying to catch or something when I was, you know, like seven years old and, you know, horrible form and uh, a bat that was swung way too apparently and just popped me right to the temple. And I, was I, have been, I have been the same since. Like, there, there are certain moments where you can say, oh, you know, and it changed everything. No, seriously, like, I've been different since then. It's always fun since, little moments since when you were five years old. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it has nothing to do with uh, with growing up. It's it's all the bad. Changed the yeah. complete course of your life. That one time you got smacked in the head with a bat. I'd say so. And, it is and, a funny question. How many concussions would you say you had as a child when nobody really like did anything for concussions back then? Ooh, um, a lot. <laughs> Oh, seeing stars. If you're if you're dizzy and don't know what happened, then you probably had a concussion. Well, that describes a lot of my childhood. Yeah, I suffered three as a teenager. I can tell you that, and you know, medically induced concussions as a teenager. So, I only have I'm one a, major, and that was that was yeah. another embarrassing story that is all its own. That is another time. Uh, <laughs> We are going to go ahead. We got to wrap up for today before we use up too much of our data. Uh, for all of you that stuck with us all the way through, we thank you very much, and we. Very special thanks to having you on here, Taylor. It was a great episode. Uh, I'm glad you're able to join us today. If you're not following him already, make sure you're following him. you got about three weeks to the draft. That's just enough time to binge all of his content and find out what you need to know. It's at Taylor Blake Ward. Uh, you can find, his, find him on 247sports.com. And Taylor, once again, thank you so much for joining us. This was a, a real pleasure. No, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Doc, I don't want to leave you high and dry. Thank you as always. It's a lot easier doing a podcast when your partner does all the heavy lifting. 
Hey man, I will uh, I will set up the framework. You know, I'll set up the skeleton. You just got to stretch stretch the skin over the top of it. So, uh, you know, the dynamic works. That works for me. I hope it works for all of you out there. Remember, if you're not already, subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on Spotify and TuneIn and Castbox and a whole host of others. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at TPS underscore. Uh, podcast TPS underscore podcast. I'm sorry. That was my own fault there. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Braves Herbert at Dylan X short. Thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We will catch you guys next week right here on the platinum sombrero. Thanks, bye.